G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Now, all of that was a little fun. It was fun. For, it was good for me. But does the text match up? Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue Babylon, Bethlehem, and baptism. And we're hearing about the ancient world's study of the stars and what the appearance of the star of Bethlehem meant to the Magi. You can never put God in a box and limit the manner in which He will reveal Himself to people who are far from Him because the Bible says it is not His will that anybody should perish but all should have everlasting life. And let me point out something. One star led them to Jesus and He knows the one star that will lead you to Him as well. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're continuing Babylon, Bethlehem, and Baptism. Between 7 and 2 BC, we know, astronomically speaking, that between 7 and 2 BC, we know the times and seasons when the sun was in Virgo. This is a constellation when the sun would have clothed Virgo. We can narrow it down. And we can further narrow it down when the moon ventured under Virgo's feet to make it appear like the moon was at the virgin's feet. And it would have been between 4 and 2 BC, which is exactly the time of the birth of Christ. We also know that to the Egyptian mind, the Roman mind, to the Babylonian mind, when a woman is clothed with the sun, they worship the sun as God. So if the virgin is clothed with the sun and is about to have a son or a child, the child would belong in their minds to God. We read, she was pregnant and cried out in pain. This is the verse where the Christ comet or the Bethlehem star emerges. This is what compelled the Magi. Remember what we're asking. Okay, we're kind of out there right now, but how does all this fit together? What did they see? What did they see? What did these Babylonian wise men see that made them think, wow, the Hebrew prophecies are coming to fruition. We've just seen demonstrated in the constellations, the birth of Christ. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to Judea. What did they see? And the early church believed that there was essentially a series of pre-dawn comet observations in the eastern sky as Virgo was heliacally rising. And the first glimpse they got of Virgo, let me demonstrate it for you here. The first glimpse they got of Virgo, here's what they saw. The comet appears, the comet rises, and it goes into Virgo's womb. And then it descends and drops as if she's delivered a child. The dragon, Drago, stands up as if it's going to devour the child. And then they see the comet move toward Jerusalem. That would have happened not in a day or two, but over a period of time as they were watching the celestial play. Then it dawned on them, this is the time, this is the season. And they began to make their way toward Jerusalem. Now, notice in Revelation 12, 2 through 5 that we, we read that the dragon appears. Well, what, what's that all about? Now, when we did the series of Revelation, we talked about how the symbolic dragon we know is the devil, right? There, so there's symbolism here. 
And we know that the devil wanted to devour the Christ child and try to do so through who? Herod. But what happened? <coughs> right. God saved the child. And then we're told in, Re- in Revelation that the devil flung a third of the stars with his tail down to planet earth as the demonic representation to try to thwart the kingdom of God. But celestially, how would that play out? And the belief is that on the eve of the birth of the child, the dragon Hydra, the constellation figure, is in a position where it appears that he's standing up before the woman ready to devour the child. And if you're wondering what that would look like in astronomical terms, Hydra only stands when the constellation is ascending over the eastern sky and becomes flat or level with the eastern sky. And when you view that from Babylon, it would be sometime around September, October. Now, notice what the dragon does. Its tail sweeps a third of the stars and flung to the earth. Now, we know what that means theologically speaking, but how did that happen in the constellations? And some of the early church fathers believed that we're talking about the great meteor storm of 6 BC. And we know from the Leonid meteor storms of the 19th century that when a meteor storm occurs, it appears like the meteors are coming from one fixed point in the sky. I didn't say they were. It just appears to humanity as if they're coming from one fixed point. At some point, the cometary baby would have seen the drop and descend within Virgo in a manner of a baby being born because the retrograde comet's orbit was straightening out after a sharp U-turn around the sun. So it would appear that the comet would no longer be able to keep in sync with the earth. Therefore, it could no longer maintain its relatively stable position in Virgo's womb. Again, at that point, everything lined up. It would simply drop and move. When the Magi saw this, they were inspired. Verse in Revelation 12 says she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Celestially speaking, comets have believed to have tails that appear as scepters. Now, all of that was a little fun. It was fun. For, it was good for me. It was good for me. All of that was fun. But does the text match up? Now, I want to show you what happens in Matthew 2. Stay with me. You've done well. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And they said, we saw his star, and the little translation should be, at its rising. When it rose, at its rising, and we came to worship him. Well, hold on a minute. Was the Christ star, the Christ comma, actually leading them to Jerusalem? And the answer, of course, is two things were happening. First of all, they were well-versed in the Hebrew scriptures, and they knew the Messiah was going to be born in Jerusalem somewhere, or near Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. So on the one case, they knew their history. The second case, they were following the star and it appeared to them, it appeared to them that the star descended from Virgo, the baby was born, the dragon missed it, a celestial play with which they would have been familiar and then made its way, made its way to Jerusalem. And so they followed. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why would all Jerusalem be disturbed? Think about it. Why is all Jerusalem disturbed Well, because if it was a comet, Herod wasn't the only one who saw it. And we're living in a time when people see comets that they think some drastic terrestrial event is about to occur and it's been demonstrated in the skies. Furthermore, Herod was brutal and atrocious. He killed his own children and own family to keep them from taking his throne. So what would he do to stop a new king? He would throw Jerusalem into total chaos and everyone knew it. Everybody would be impacted. So Herod invites the Magi in, and what does he want? He wants to know where was the Messiah born? Where is it to be born? But first he calls in the scribes. So he's, think about this, he's Jewish. He's the king of the Jews. He knows the prophecy, he actually has some belief in them because he calls in the religious people and asks them this question. Where is he to be born? Where's the Messiah gonna be born? And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea. 
For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, incidentally, Bethlehem means house of grain. And Babylonian astronomers named the zodiacal constellations after houses. And would you like to guess what Virgo, the constellation, was named? The house of grain, long before Bethlehem. The Herod called, the Bible says, secretly the Magi and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Why, why does he want to know exactly what time the star, what's the big deal? What time, did, no. What is he doing? He's trying to determine when the celestial play began, because he's assuming when the celestial play began, that was the birth of the Christ child. So he's wanting to know, when did the star drop? When did you see it? Why does he want to know? So that he can guess the maximum age of the child so that he can kill it. The Magi must have informed him that it had been over a year. Now remember, when the Magi come, they don't visit Jesus in the manger. You got that, right? They don't come to the manger. Read the story carefully. They come to the house after he's been born and the celebrations have happened, then the Magi appear when Mary's with her son at home. So what does Herod do? He slaughters all children two years and under. Now, in the first century world, you were described as being two years old anytime you were 12 months in one day. You were said to be in your second year of existence. This means that the star that was visible to the Magi was at least 12 lunar months before the slaughter making the Christ comet one of the greatest comets in our history. Verse 9 says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose, that's a reference I still believe to its helical rising, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. What are they talking about? Can comets really just sit over one house? I mean, we know comets move. And having been in the virgin's womb, or appearing to be, now it's in the southern evening sky, and they're tracking the comet. So the Magi are tracking its course over the desert into Jerusalem and finally into Bethlehem. And the comet would have set over the western horizon each night. And as it did, it would appear to them to be traveling toward Judea ahead of them, prompting them to keep going with their journey. But when the Bible says that it stopped over the house, that's, that's a difficult one. Or is it? Colin Nicole, who has written a book, a great book called The Great Christ Comet, says this about that. The comet at this point, he says, has a long tail, which from the Magi's perspective at the time projected upwards into the sky from a comet that was stationed under the visible horizon behind the house where Jesus was. He goes on, the description suggests that the comet that night was probably at least 30 degrees long, but no more than 45 degrees long. According to Matthew, the comet was clearly of such brightness and size, it seemed from the Magi's perspective to be standing right over the house. For the comet to do that, it must have been angled at between approximately 70 and 110 degrees from the horizon. And so the Bible says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped. Don't you think it's uncanny, the absence of Joseph here? You don't run into him or see him anymore. Why? It enhances the reality that Jesus was born to a virgin mother. The Magi, at the climax of their journey, would have seen the virgin and her special child. And what they had witnessed months and months before celestially had now become true terrestrially. And because of their belief that the son is worshipped and in a way is a god, in their limited understanding, as the woman was closed in the sun, they would have believed her to be a virgin having the son of God. And they followed, even though they may not have understood completely, they wanted to worship the new king. 
And the Bible tells us they did. And when they got there, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why did they do that? Because they were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, especially Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light will come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come afar, from afar. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Gold is the most precious metal, symbolic of royalty. Frankincense is symbolic of priestly ministry. And myrrh is symbolic of redemption through pain and suffering and death. And when I think of the Christ comet or the Bethlehem star, I just recall my mother singing a song in the kitchen every Christmas. She didn't know all the, the words and she didn't know any of the verses, I don't think, but she didn't know the chorus and she sang it over and over and over until I wanted to strangle her. <laughs> oh, star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And today's fascinating message is called Babylon, Bethlehem and Baptism. All about the signs in the stars at the time Jesus was born. What does all this mean? It means this is not a myth or legend for you to take lightly. That Christ is steeped in history. That the evidence for the Christ child... And I'm not talking merely about if it's, a, if it's a miraculous star or a comet. The verdict's still out on that. But either way, God stepped into time and eternity, man. And this Christ child forces you to make a decision about your life. And if you're one of those persons that comes just Christmas and Easter, first of all, welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you're going to come twice a year, I'm glad you come here. Good. Welcome. But sooner or later, you've got to ask Why? What is it that draws you and compels you? This is steeped in history. It's not myth or legend. Everything about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, steeped in history, corroborated by inside and external resources. It's not only the Jews that wrote about Jesus. What does this tell me? Quickly, almost done. Those far from God can come near to him. God's heart is for everyone. Think about this Even for pagan Babylonians who practice magic arts, God reached down and found a way to speak to them. My friend Ravi Zacharias says that every time he goes to India, it never fails. He will preach the gospel among unreached people groups and there will always be somebody that comes up and says, Dr. Zacharias, I knew the man you were talking about and describing, but I didn't know his name because I was visited in a dream. And now I know his name is Jesus. And for some of you, You're just really skeptical about stuff like that. That's okay, though. Because the reality is you can never put God in a box and limit the manner in which he will reveal himself to people who are far from him. Because the Bible says it is not his will that anybody should perish, but all should have everlasting life. And let me point out something. One star led them to Jesus, and he knows the one star that will lead you to him as well. As a matter of fact, the question will always be, will you follow And you'll only follow if you've been searching diligently for the king. Because if you haven't been searching for him, even when he appears, you will not recognize. Never discount what God can do to reach somebody far away. God has always been in the habit of reaching across barriers. He left his home in heaven to come to this filthy planet to connect with those who were far from God that they might come near. And he will speak their language. He knows their point of connection. Let God be God. Never give up on your one life. He knows how to reach his own. Not only that, wise men still seek him. I know it's old, a cliche, but it's still a good one. God sends a light into your life 
but you often misinterpret it because you're not looking for the king. I want you to notice something about these wise men or the magi, whoever they were. They were in constant observation waiting for the heavens to speak. I find it ironic that Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. But the journey that the Magi had to take to get to Christ was brutal. They had to cross the desert and it was dangerous. At the end of the journey, they were told to go home by another way. Herod was trying to kill them. But think about their reward of getting to bow down and bring gifts to the son of God. It would have been life transformational. And my only question to you is, has your life been a brutal journey? And could it be that the glory of God is on the other side? Abused at home, broken relationships, career disappointment. Is it possible that God is pointing you toward a king who will never break your heart, who will never leave you or forsake you, who will never break his promise or his covenant, who will take you to the place that you know you ultimately belong but the way home is across the desert. Those of you who have lost people that you love and Christmas has become a hard time, can I ask you, have you really lost them? Are they not vouchsafe with God? Is he not calling you home so that you can rejoin them and experience the greatest reunion known to man? Does he not? See, there's a child, even a little child has screamed at you and told you just now. He had... Through the mouth of babes, a little child shall lead them. It's in the book of Isaiah. You know, if I can't get a word from the adults, even the children will cry out. <laughs> See, the first advent reminds you that although you can't give a full explanation for the tragedies of life and the brutality of the desert, the crossing, the crossing of the sand, difficult sands, to get to the Christ child, as we've said all year, you know what the answer is not concerning your difficulties and your desert experiences. You know it's not because he doesn't love you. You know it's not because, or you know it is, you you know that you could never say that these happen because God doesn't love you or that they happen because God is distant and he hasn't come near. That's the first advent, that he's with you, but he is an eternal God. And if you continue to seek him and look for his light, he will speak to you. And even in the times of your desert, he will get you to the other side and the experience that you have with God will be transformational. Can I ask you just one quick question again before I finish the last point? How far do you think God should be willing to go to get you? If we're talking about matters of eternity, doesn't God have the right to strip you of everything you depend on until you depend only on him? Because if he truly loves you, he doesn't want you to spend eternity without him because your life here, what is average, 70, 75 years? Those of you who are older, congratulations. But if God truly loves you, the star will come into your life. Will you notice it and will you follow it? Are you listening? Do you hear what I hear? The hound of heaven is coming after you. And finally, even though wise men still seek him, learned men still reject him. Now this is the end. Folks, it is not the absence of evidence why a person does not follow God and discover Jesus. It's not. It's the suppression of it. Why would somebody want to suppress the evidence? Think about King Herod, man. King Herod steeped in the prophecies of the Messiah. (laughs) Knew the king was coming, but he had plan A and plan B. Plan A was, I'm going to get the Magi to bring the Christ child and I'm going to assassinate him. Or if they don't do that, I'm just going to kill everybody two years and under, but I'm going to kill this king. Why would you want to kill the king that had come 
to be the shepherd of the people of God. He would have known those prophecies. Why? For power, authority, autonomy, and convenience. To sit on the throne of heaven, you have to give Jesus the throne of your life on earth. And most people just are not willing to do that. And until you are, you'll never know what it is to discover the king of all kings who wants to give you the deepest desires of your heart. He is consistently leading, drawing, and compelling through the events of your life. And at Christmas, you've got to decide sooner or later, are you going to follow? And if you say yes, the star will get brighter and brighter. And you'll see it from time to time. And every time you see it, you'll be encouraged that God is still with you, knowing that he's gone on ahead and where he's leading you, it's the place ultimately you want to go. But you decide. Christmas is a decision. It's up to you. Father, thank you for the power of your word, for the truth of your word. And I would pray in Jesus' name right now in this place that every life would have been changed, every thinking transformed, that we would know that the Christ child has come And because of his coming, we also can go to the place that he's prepared. That he has gone to his father's insula. And there are many mansions and many rooms in his house. Help us to be pure. Help us to follow the star in our lives, whatever it is, that ultimately points to Christ. The way to the father we know is through his son. For him, we are grateful in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. To hear the connection between Babylon, Bethlehem and baptism, please join us next time for another message in our Advent series. It's called A Year of Worship and Gratitude. Jesus is saying something. He's saying, I'm I'm telling you, no, you're wrong if you think that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. He's actually saying in the parable, everyone, when it comes right down to it, deserves to have a tower fall on them. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.